Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. This show is sponsored by generous listeners like you through our Patreon. This episode is underwritten by the Tamsin G Association and Warrior Queen. To learn more about ways to support Oh My Dollar and get cool perks like exclusive live streams and cat stickers, you can visit ohmydollar.com support. Welcome to Oh My Dollar, a personal finance show with a dash of glitter. Dealing with money can be scary and stressful. Here we give practical, friendly advice about money that helps you tackle the financial overwhelm. I'm your host, Lillian Gerbake. Today is the first episode of our regular listener stories series with the Billfold editor, Nicole Deeker. The Billfold is one of our favorite personal finance websites, creating an honest conversation about money with one of the most active commoner communities on the personal finance internets. And Nicole has been on the show before to talk about meal planning. Nicole is a teacher and writer at NicoleDeeker.com. And uh, today we're going to talk about a topic that I feel like is so broad <laughs> that it really took stories to kind of pull it. And this, these are folks that came from the Billfold community and also from the Oh My Dollar community. Something we've always said on the show is that money is highly personal. And one thing I've learned is there's no specific accomplishment moment for when you feel like you're in control of your money. For some people, it's being able to buy whatever kind of cheese they want at the grocery store. For others, it's the first time they open a retirement account. It's all over the map. So Nicole and I are going to listen to some stories from our communities and also talk about our own experiences. Nicole, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you back. It's been like two years since we've had you on, I think. It um, has. And, and so, yet I'm I mean, still meal planning. <laughs> That's, that is good to know. I actually feel like I have personally fallen slightly off the meal planning boat which isn't to say that I'm like doing wild, like spending wildly more on groceries. I just kind of live so close. I live half a block from Trader Joe's. It's really dangerous because I can be like, oh, whatever. You can plan your meal 10 minutes before you make it. So it's I feel like that my location has made me fall off the meal planning boat a little bit. Fair enough. See, I, I've gotten into grocery delivery, which is a great way to meal plan because you never have to walk into the store and you can make a little chart that has all the meals you need for the month and order just that many groceries. <laughs> anyway, we can discuss that later. I'm, I mean, I think that that is like, uh, not to make this whole episode about meal planning, but I think that that is like, one, you live in a place that's been pretty cold lately. So like grocery delivery, I feel like is just a benefit in that regard but there's tons of studies that show like if you get if you don't actually shop at the store you'll spend less money and also make healthier decisions around food so this is anyway, true at well, least what i found 
we'll link to the meal planning episode in our show notes uh, so that people can, you know, listen to some vintage meal planning advice that's still relevant. <laughs> <laughs> Is it vintage after two years? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we've had like 80 episodes since you were last on. So, Nicole, I like... One of the things that I love about the Billfold is that you do a lot of featuring people's personal stories. And we don't get a lot of that on Oh My Dollar, um, except for my own personal stories, which are, you know, it's just one person. So I have been really excited about uh, partnering with you and kind of figuring out ways to integrate stories into what Oh My Dollar does, because I always take something away when I read other people's personal finance. So do I. I have learned so much from the Billfold community. I mean, honestly, they have helped me with my finances as much as I've helped them. Yeah. No, I mean, I I think that's definitely true. I love it when people write in with just tales of their own stories or like specific like, hey, I learned that you can get your groceries delivered or whatever it is. So our, our topic today that we asked folks to submit on is the idea of when they were first in control of their money. Nicole, did you have a moment when you first felt in control of your money? I I did, actually. I, I think that there were two moments. The initial moment where I felt like I could control my money, I'm not sure I felt like I was in control yet, but the idea that I could control it came right after I graduated from college. I moved to Minneapolis because I thought I would have this internship, and I got there and it fell through. So I ended up working as a telemarketer. It was great. Real, real good job, that one. And (laughs) I had, you know, very little money, and I needed to figure out what to do with it. So I went to the library, and I checked out Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin and Joe Dominguez. And this is an incredible book that I'm sure you must have read. Everyone should read it. But what I started doing after I read it was I began tracking every penny that went in and every penny that came out. And although I didn't feel like I could control my finances yet because I was making so very little money that I didn't have many choices about what to do with it, it gave me the sense of possibility someday you know, if I kept this up and figured out how to earn a little more than what I was making as a telemarketer, someday this would pay off and I would be in control of my money. So that was the first step. And then the second part came several years later, almost a decade later, when I had enough money that I could live off 50% of my income. And that made me think of money as you know, what could I start doing with this instead of what do I have to pay for with this? What bills does it have to cover, et cetera? It was more like, okay, if I make the choice to live on significantly less than what I earn, this not only gives me a lot of control, but also a lot of possibility. So those were the two moments for me. I don't know about you, if you have a similar story. I I feel like in some ways, those are very similar to my own story. So like, I decided to move to Oregon from Ohio when I was 18. And uh, at that point, I'd already like dropped out of college, dropped out of high school and was working a grocery job. And I wanted to move to do a six month unpaid, uh, essentially internship living on a hippie commune in Oregon. And so I had to have like, you know, I, I was I wasn't gonna have many expenses when I was on the hippie commune, but like obviously I needed a nest egg to kind of fall back on at the end of of that six months and to like buy toothpaste and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And 
I uh, I was working a grocery job. I think I was making seven dollars an hour, which was like almost decent in Cincinnati at the time. And uh, I managed to save up two thousand dollars, which was like my magic number that I had decided. If I had two thousand dollars, then you know I was going to be okay. Um, and I. <laughs> I was supposed to move for six months. That was 13 years ago. So um, clearly, <laughs> clearly I didn't go back to Ohio. Um, but I, I, the, the kind of moment when I realized I had enough in the bank to make, to make this jump, to be able, to be able to do this thing um, and, and not have any money come in for six months was a, a real moment of control for me. And like, obviously my means were more limited at $7 an hour. But then another big moment for me was when I got to the point, you know, I was working in politics. I was making decent money. I was making like uh, 49000 a year, which was phenomenal compared to what I had been making before. And I got to the point where I was able to just literally ignore my paychecks. Like they just went straight into my 401k. Uh, so 100% of what I made other than social security taxes, obviously, um, just went straight into my 401k so that I could max it out early. And that was a moment of like, oh, you have accomplished something when you've gotten to the point where you are, there's just no panic about when money comes in. And uh, that really speaks to one of the stories that we are going to feature today, which is just that moment of realizing that you're not tracking when money comes in. And and I think for me, that was a moment of control to realize that I had gotten to the point that I had worked to the point that my savings were at such an amount that I wasn't I, I didn't I didn't need to track my payday down to the day. Mm -hmm. So the first story we have is from Alexandra, which is how two budgeting choices gave me control over my money. And we're going to listen to that story now. According to dictionary.com, the definition of control is as follows. To exercise restraint or direction over, dominate, command. The moment I realized I had control over my money wasn't a finite moment such as I finally paid off my credit card slash student loans slash car, but more of a gradual recognition. I started my first big girl job as a sort of warehouse assistant roughly around the age of 23. I was young, inexperienced, and a temporary employee for the time being. It was not uncommon to find me waiting semi-impatiently for my paycheck to get deposited every two weeks. I had only been dipping my toes into the YNAB Kool-Aid for a few minutes at that time, but even then, it was hard to balance your budget when you had no money to, well, budget. But this lack of funds didn't faze me. I've always loved messing around with my money. Using YNAB as a sort of Tetris game to see how I could get all of my purchases each month to fit within a cohesive, albeit small, allotted amount. Did I spend too much going out to restaurants the past week? Oh well, I have to decrease the amount that I spend on my dog. There were two YNAB categories I never subtracted from, even if I managed to overspend in others. Savings and debt. Savings could be a variety of things, and I had plenty of savings subcategories within my budget. Vacation, gifts, IRA, emergency, etc. always retained their full monthly allotment in YNAB, no matter what happened. Debt included student loans and a car loan that I took on in 2014. I've been fortunate enough to never have to worry about credit card debt. Even though it felt like most of my budgeting involved moving tiny amounts of money around, making sure life savings and debt were always paid in full made a huge difference in my financial life. Week after week passed by, and eventually after nine months of temping, I was hired on as a permanent employee. My student loans and car loan were paid each and every month on time. 
Thinking about the interest that would be added onto my debt over time was enough motivation for me to increase the payments little by little. Soon, I was able to meet certain milestones some may consider as finally having control over their finances. I paid off my student loans within two years, paid off a five-year car loan in just over three years. I won't lie, having the weight of both of these debts off my back felt great. Still, I was only, still it was only a financial accomplishment, not financial control. No longer having to worry about immediate debt, I started working on my next savings goal, the emergency fund. The advice on how many months this fund should cover varies, so I just opted to shoot for roughly what could get me by for three or four months if I found myself without a job. This took time, and there were moments when I didn't think I would ever reach my goal. But with each dollar stashed away, I was headed in the right direction. YNAB confirmed this for me as I watched my net worth gradually increase month over month. My emergency fund was fully furnished after what felt like forever. Much like ridding myself of debt, it was a great achievement, but I was still in control. I have now been working at the same company for five years. I have changed job titles, gained responsibilities, and increased my salary. Up until this point, I had never even considered when I had finally control. Up until this point, I had never even considered when I realized I finally had control over my money. It wasn't one debt paid off, one goal reached, or any one specific moment for that matter, or any one specific moment for that matter. Nothing jumped out at me as a turning point that put me into control. Until I started noticing one thing, I wasn't counting down the days until my next paycheck would come in. I no longer found myself adding my paycheck into the budget and immediately allocating all the money towards upcoming expenses. I was no longer thinking, great, only another week until I have the money to pay for X, Y, and Z. These days, I almost managed to forget that it's payday. That's not to say that there are a few times each year when I have to watch my spending in order not to go over a budget. These days, it is more putting off a purchase of tennis shoes for a month or two and not trying to see how much I would need to decrease my grocery budget in order to pay a bill. It is my hope that someday I'll have enough money not to worry about the next payday. For now, not eagerly awaiting for each and every paycheck is enough to make me believe I have dominated my finances. I think certainly that um, what I took away from the story was, like you said, being able to not have to wait for your paycheck is a big part of it. And so is decision-making, you know, valuing savings and debt repayment over other expenses you could have spent your money on, making the choice even when it's hard kind of thing. Yeah, Alexandria said, great, only another week until I have money to X, Y, Z was the way that she used to think about things. And Mm -hmm. these days that she manages to almost forget that it's payday. And I feel like that speaks very much to my experience, which I, I... I think there was a point at which I realized that so much of this personal finance stuff is cumulative. And there is, I think it's hard when you're first starting out to realize that sometimes it really does just take time. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you, you like there is an equation to savings and it is like living on less than you earn and time. <laughs> and it, it, you can't get there on day one, right? Your first paycheck right. uh, of, of earning money uh, unless you're starting with someone's means other than yourself, it's just going to take some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if there's any 18, 19, 20 year olds or even 40 year olds who are starting from square one. I think it's helpful to remember that. <laughs> I just want to say that the idea of not caring when your paycheck comes in is interesting to me because I don't think that way at all. Certainly I have enough in the bank right now that I could miss a paycheck or two and be fine, you know, but I, 
I have every day I'm going to get paid on my calendar. I'm just, you know, because I want to add the money to my pile of savings and, and think about what it might do in the future. I don't, do you still think that way at all? Or do you just not sort of oh, so notice I that? definitely like, so I think one of the things for me is because I get paid out of my business, I get, I, I, I put off accounting for my business. Also, I feel like my money comes in in such small drips and drabs, like 30 to $70 because it comes from so many sources because majority of the money I make is from, from book sales, um, that I, I don't get the same delight that I once got. That being said, the day that I cut myself a check, that I, I stopped procrastinating on accounting and I actually sit and cut myself a check and then I send it to myself, I do really delight in being able to take that money and um, you know th- throw it into the next month's budget categories or transfer it to savings or something like that. And, and so, yes, I still get that moment of delight. And I think largely for me, that's because I use YNAB and it, I, I get this like, ooh, yay, I get to put money in categories. But I also don't, you know, I'm doing this experiment this year, which is that I'm not trying to take on side jobs and I'm just whittling down my savings, which is while I, I get my business to the point where it can support me full time. And I, it's like, I've had to divorce myself from that feeling of panic that I used to have of like, oh, yeah, sure, I'm covered for three months. But like, what happens if no money comes in in three months, which I I feel like was like my dominant anxiety and would cause me to be like, oh, I just need some money to come in. I have to do some side job. And so I I guess I've tried to work really hard to divorce myself from that. I haven't had like a stable paycheck in like three years at this point. (laughs) I mean, neither have I, you know, as a freelancer and everything, but I don't know. I do like, like you said, I do sometimes think, you know, if I don't earn any money in the next three months in the next six months, what will I do? It's I've stopped thinking that so much, you know, as I've become more secure in my career and my finances, but I'm not sure that ever goes away. (laughs) At some point it has to, right? Like I, as much as I think the thing that's challenging for me is as much as the numbers, I, I can sit there and I can look at the numbers and I could be like, realistically, you would be fine for 18 months, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And, and like you, and that's before you even have to, t- you know, that's not all of your money. That's just like the money that you've allocated for spend spending on life expenses. That's not retirement or anything. And, and yet there's this inner bag lady, which is what I like to call her, who is wildly irrational. And she likes to say, oh, but that might happen. You, even though like there's no data to support that never in my life have I gone that long without some kind of money coming in right right no <laughs> so, for sure for sure there, there's no data to support that um, and I also like to spend a lot of time reminding myself that like I've gotten through leaner times um, and that I do I have just so much more cushion now because I've saved for so long but like that two thousand dollars that I saved in in 2005 represented such a large sum of money to me. And now I have, and, and, you know, I didn't make any income for six months while I lived in the middle of the woods on a hippie commune. Um, and yet, yet $2,000 to me does not represent the same kind of security now, despite the fact that, you know, I, I have, (laughs) it's just so funny. It's just so funny. I don't know. It's, 
I mean, brains. when I saved when I saved that first five hundred dollars back when I was using your money or your life and working as a telemarketer, that was a big deal. I had five hundred dollars. <laughs> it was amazing. So I know exactly how that feels. Yeah, and like I don't even I haven't even suffered that much lifestyle inflation. Like obviously rent has gone up a lot uh, in my in my life since I was paying zero dollars to live on a tree in a hippie commune. But like I I haven't suffered so much lifestyle inflation that you know the difference between two thousand dollars and eighteen thousand dollars should should feel so insignificant as it does. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think about yeah. these things. <laughs> It turns out that you can't always explain money anxiety away with numbers, no, no matter how and rational it, you are. <laughs> and it's interesting because that was one of the focuses of the other pieces that the billfold is going to run on this subject of money and control. It's like, when yeah. do you feel secure? That's kind of a perfect intro into our second story by Laura Marie, which is the first and second and third time I felt in control of my money, which is sort of about the moving goalposts around Mm -hmm. in control of your money. When I heard the idea of being in control of my money, I was conflicted. When did I feel in control? Do I feel in control now? One of the struggles I constantly face, for example, is the conflict between investing, where the potential for return and the risk of loss are both greater, versus socking money away in reasonable yield savings accounts. Nothing makes me feel particularly in control about the potential for loss or the potential for low returns. However, I can point to three points in my life when I felt more in control of my money than before. In childhood and the first few years of college, money didn't feel like mine. Instead, I felt like my decisions were mostly based on what my parents would want me to do. Sure, I still went and got 3 a.m. donuts with my roommates occasionally, but beyond a fairly small margin, I felt like I was a custodian of someone else's money, even if I earned some of it through summer jobs and school year gigs at the newspaper. The first time I felt fully like my money didn't belong to someone else was right after my junior year of college. During the first three years of college, I lived on campus. This contributed to my feeling of being a student, not an adult. That May, however, my friends and I started renting a house off campus, which we each had landed some form of summer job that made it reasonable to live over the summer in our college town. I cobbled together a part-time job and three freelancing clients that made it possible for me to pay rent, gas, eat, save a little for the school year, and have a little left over for fun. I didn't spend outlandishly that summer, but there was something so positive feeling like I could command enough work to keep myself alive. I know that my parents and family were still part of my support network and the reason I had health insurance, but there was an undeniable change in how I thought about money. I was no longer spending money on behalf of my parents. I was learning how to make choices about my money and manage it well. I spent some of my 20s in travel and some of it in graduate school, but as I turned 26, I got my first full-time job with benefits. The $38,000 a year was not a king's ransom, but it still felt incredibly luxurious to me. When the director of HR passed me a document explaining our retirement plans, I read over it and committed to saving $100 a month. After all, she said I could change this savings allowance at any time if I couldn't make it work, and I had survived on much less income before. I'd always tried to avoid touching my nest egg of birthday graduation savings, but prior to this first job, I really hadn't thought about growing my savings or saving for retirement. If I dipped into my nest egg, for example, I tried to fill it back up, but I rarely added to it. When I started this job, I was able to decide, kind of suddenly, that saving was something I was going to start caring about. It made sense to do it when my overall earnings were going up by a wide margin. 
As I continued to build my career, I put most of my pay increases into savings. The ability to save and see my savings grow with each $100 was a new feeling that approached control. Being a pretty conservative spender and investor, I have always viewed the money in our investment accounts as money we could lose at any time. However, over the years, my husband and I have saved in diversified ways, extra payments on the house, retirement, liquid savings accounts, to a point I'm starting to see a way that we could feel secure long term. There are plenty of worst case scenarios that could wipe that security away, but it feels possible now. My husband likes his job and has been with it long enough to command a substantial salary for our area's cost of living, and combined with that and some long-term part-time clients, I was able to quit my full-time job in December and launch a full-time freelance career. The girl who got four part-time jobs in college or who bravely saved $100 a month would think I was taking a huge risk by quitting a sure thing for a gamble like freelancing. However, this is part of why this feels like a step toward money control. We've built up enough financial security that the risk of freelance work was less than the reward of the flexible work hours, interesting work, and potential for self-optimization and self-management. What's interesting is that in each of these three scenarios, my definition of being in control of my money involved having the freedom to choose a riskier path without fear. In the first instance, I chose to live with my friends over the summer rather than living at home. For the second, I chose a slightly lower cash flow each month in favor of a growing retirement account. To feel in control, I think I need to feel like I can make calculated risks, ones which eventually pay off in greater happiness or greater security. It makes me excited to continue to build a financial base that allows me to take advantage of opportunities when they arise, even though the inherent instability of money will probably always keep my footing a little unsure. I identified a lot with this piece, I'll tell you. Yeah, me too. I I felt like this is very much the tale of what of what I've been through, like how there's different points in my life in which and some of this for I think for a lot of people, this changes a lot when you have when you have dependents or when you mm-hmm. merge your finances with someone else. But for me, I, I'm not in that situation. And yet still the point at which I made thirty nine thousand dollars, I felt like I was making just as as it was said in the story, a king's ransom. For me, thirty nine thousand dollars was similar. I was just like, oh, my gosh, what am I, I supposed know. to do with all this money? <laughs> The day I went from $9 an hour to $13 an hour was just like, again, go buy the fancy cheese, you know, <laughs> at least once. <laughs> yeah, right. I I think that um, something that was interesting to me, so I, I was making 15 an hour and then I, I got a raise to 19 an hour and that's that represents an extra, you know, 9000 a year. And I was at the point where I, that was what really, really triggered my interest in personal finance beyond just managing my own money, but into investing and things like that. Because I was like, that's so much money. I've lived on so, so much less. Like 30,000 was great because previous to that, I'd been, you know, making $10 an hour. And so 30,000 was already a lot of money to me. So once I made 39,000, I was like, oh my God, I could I could max out a 401k. Like, what does this look like? And that's what really started me down the path. Um, But then because I spent so much time interacting with people that also were saving high percentages of their income, but were making like double what I was making, I I realized that my goalposts had moved. Mm hmm. Is that is that a problem for you, Nicole? Like the talking about personal finance all the time has made you more hypercritical of your own choices? Or do you feel like the diversity of stories that you edit on the billfold has made you kinder to yourself? 
I mean, I've always said that we are all doing the best we can with what we have, you know. Um, and I even, I've, I've interviewed a lot of people about how they do money, and sometimes they'll tell me something that they describe as a money mistake, for example. And I will often push back with, well, in the situation you were in at the time, that was actually a very sensible choice, you know, to spend so much on this or to to change to this job or to buy this thing that you realized later you didn't need. But at the time, it was logical. <laughs> no, we don't we don't often do things that are that don't that, that don't fulfill a need we have in that moment. So yeah. that's my answer, I suppose. <laughs> so I, I think your answer was kind of avoiding it. But, I mean, I mean, maybe, okay, you asked me if my goalposts had changed. I'm not sure my goalposts have changed. I do think my needs have changed. Do you think that's influenced by the fact that you, re- you read, like, one of the most radical financial independence books when you were making money as a telemarketer? I, yeah, for sure. That definitely helped. But I guess, like, I have done some lifestyle inflation stuff. I now live in an apartment that has in-unit laundry, for example, oh my versus God. coin laundry in the basement. That's um, me too, and it's the best lifestyle inflation of my life. <laughs> And I've justified that by, you know, explaining that it's good for my time or that it's just easier. And I am able, as I'm getting older, to deal with less discomfort than I was able to deal with when I was younger. (laughs) Whatever. So that's, you know, sure, maybe my lifestyle is inflating and maybe my financial goalposts are moving, but I'm still saving a considerable amount of what I earn, and I'm still, I guess, operating on what I think the best decisions are based on the information I have at the time. Yeah, I was I was at a um, I was at a hostel in London last week, two weeks ago, and uh, I realized at some point that I was ten years older than everyone else staying there, mm-hmm. and uh, the I, I, someone was like. You know, I was chatting with my roommates who were students from South Korea and, uh, you know, it was like a $23 a night, like, bed hostel. And I was there on on a business trip, so I had, like, pretty extensive per diem. Um, And I I went out to, like, I don't know, a uh, 25-pound-a-plate dinner because it was a a nice dinner and the pound was really weak at the time. And someone was like, I can't believe you went out for such a fancy dinner. And I was like, I did just realize that my dinner cost more than the hostel bed that I stayed in. But it, it, but like this was for me, like I, I don't, you know, I don't value fancy hotels nearly as much as I value, like not having to worry about where I go out to eat dinner and just like getting food in my face. Um, but it was really interesting to see that reflected in my hostel mates who were like, they wouldn't, wouldn't possibly consider that. And I was sort of like, oh, well, I saved money on my housing, so I don't yeah. really care about the food that I'm eating. Uh, <laughs> but, but at the same time, I was like griping over spending eight, eight pounds on an Uber to get to the airport at 4 a.m. So Oh, for sure. <laughs> no, I was, in, I was in New York last weekend and I brought my own food. Um, I did eat one meal a day that was not uh, protein powder. 
I also <laughs> stayed at the Pod Hotel, which I first stayed at like my very first trip to New York a decade ago. And I continued staying at it since because I like it. I know where it is. And it then I either walked or at? took the subway um, everywhere. I'm sorry? The Which pod hotel were you at? Because I was also at the pod hotel in New York last week. Oh, Did really? We just... I was at pod 39. Me too. Well, were we there know. at the same time? <laughs> it was great. It was $85 a night. I love it to pieces. So yeah, I actually paid for mine with chase points um, oh cool what, i thought it was gonna be a proper pod hotel but it wasn't really it was just really tiny hotel rooms right yeah no you're not in a capsule you're just in a room with a bed and a toilet yeah i did a little video tour of that hotel so i don't know if this makes it into the final edit for the show i will throw the video tour um down in the notes but i yeah i i adored it because it was like in midtown really close mm-hmm. to all my meetings but you can't find an Airbnb for that price per night. Um, no. Let alone it, it was free to me because I bought it with points. So, um, yeah, no, that was a really delightful hotel room. <laughs> Fun hotel is great. I, whenever I'm in New York, I just int- eat bagels for every meal because I figure I can just store up all my bagels that I need until next time I'm in New York. True. <laughs> okay, we're we're way off topic here. Okay. Uh, this is from Helen, who is actually located in China, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Helen in China said, The first time I felt in control of my money was when I was able to pay my mortgage several months in advance. I had always been someone that had struggled to make the mortgage payment as my biggest payment, especially here in China, where real estate prices are relatively cheap. But I got to the point where I was able to pay my mortgage several months in advance with that month's money, and that was the moment that I felt truly in control. I think that's a really excellent story. I'm also delighted to find out that we have a listener in China. Uh, Me too. <laughs> I, I, I feel like being able to pay things ahead of time is uh, becoming a theme. <laughs> it is, you know, and this is one of the reasons I love budgeting with YNAB and I can put my money in and see how many months of financial runway I have. Like you said, how long can I go without earning anything else, you know? That so is I don't know favorite. if that's what Helen is using, but it's such a great tool. Yeah, that is one of my... Um, I, I've, I've gotten listener comments from Helen before, and I'm pretty sure they also started using YNAB. Uh, I, I, yeah, I love getting to the point where I'm like, oh, I've got out through July, I've got mm-hmm. all my expenses out on YNAB. This is not just an advertisement for YNAB, but, you know, sometimes the show feels like it. You can do this with a spreadsheet if you want. You don't have to get YNAB. (laughs) You do not have to get YNAB. I just like it. And (laughs) apparently so does Nicole and I think Helen as well. So, Uh, all right. That might wrap our show for today. Anything you want to add, Nicole? Where can we find you on the Internet? Thank you for joining us so much today. Well, thank you for having uh, me. Uh, you can find me at NicoleDeeker.com. That's N-I-C-O-L-E-D-I-E-K-E-R.com. I'm also on Twitter at HelloTheFuture, because I started using Twitter before people used their real names. And, of course, the Billfold. I'm always around on the Billfold. Please come and visit us. Awesome. Well, like I said, the Billfold is one of my favorite financial places on the Internet, Uh to just hear stories. I like to talk about money and it's nice to see other people who want to talk about money. And uh, we're going to be doing these episodes, I think like once every five weeks or something like that. Um, So we're always anxiously looking for 
your stories. And our topic for the next one is just, we're giving you one prompt, which is ramen noodles. So I want your stories about money, about ramen noodles, maybe just your recipe for your favorite thing that you can make with your favorite 19 cent pack of ramen noodles. Uh, We'd love to hear your stories about it. You can always send them into stories at ohmydollar.com. And I think that's, yeah. You can always send them in to stories at ohmydollar.com. Or if you can write a story in 240 characters, you can always tweet it at ohmydollar or hello the future, I guess. (laughs) Sounds good to me. I'll read them. I can never find you on Twitter. I'm always, I can never remember. I remember that it's not your name, but then it won't autofill when I start typing in your name. (laughs) I can't remember what it is, so... Yeah, I know. I should change it. But at this point, I've got all the followers. So, you know, you know, you can change your handle. You can change your handle on Twitter without losing your followers. Then I should look into that. This is a useful piece of advice. It's cool. You're talking to someone who's been anomalously on the Internet for like 15 years. So I still I still type that in when I try to find you on Twitter. Yeah, I'm I am at the point where uh, I think almost everybody only knows me as Anomalily, so mm-hmm. you know, that's great. <laughs> yeah, All I right. just well, change I got it. a plan for this week. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps our show for today. Thank you so much for Nicole joining us. We look forward to hearing more of your listener stories. Um, and, you know, at, send us your questions or successes at questions at ohmydollar.com. Tweet us at Anomalily or at ohmydollar. Our producer for this episode is Will Romy. Our intro music is by Aaron Parecki. And your host and personal finance educator is me, Lillian Kerbake. Thanks for listening. Until next time, remember to manage your money so it doesn't manage you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.